If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy to chapter 33. The whole book of Deuteronomy is given by Moses in the last few days of his life. When we come to chapter 33, this is the day he will die. But as is typical, if you remember, what did Jacob do right before he died? But he blessed the children. This is Moses' final blessing upon the 12 tribes of Israel, except it's not all 12. There's one missing. Which tribe is that? Dan? No, that's the one missing from Revelation chapter 7. So we shall have to see. What's that? Simeon. Simeon. Yeah. So I have to find out, what did Simeon do? Because he was a bad boy. Okay, let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Let's just review verse 4 to get a running start in verse 5. It says, Moses commanded a law for us. A heritage of the congregation of Jacob. The word heritage means an inheritance. Something that's passed from generation to generation forever. Verse 5, and he was king in Jeshurun. Does the he refer to Moses? No. The he refers to God, to the Lord. The Lord was king in Jeshurun, whatever a Jeshurun is. Jeshurun is Israel. It's Israel. Not Jacob, but Israel. Those who believe and put their faith and trust in the Lord our God. When the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. I know that's a long way back, but I think we can find it. Verse 15. Up to verse 15, Moses has described the benefits, the blessings that God had poured out in Israel. And it says, but Jeshurun, that's Israel, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you're obese. Then he forsook God who made him. How do you forsake God? Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 11 says. What? How do we forsake God? Don't obey. We stop obeying his commandments. And scornfully esteem the rock of his salvation. Let's also look at Deuteronomy 33 verse 26. 33 verse 5 describes Jeshurun, but that's where we are today. So we'll go on to verse 26, which again mentions Jeshurun. It says, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun. How many of you know that? There is no other God. You could almost say, right? From our first song today. Who rides the heavens to help you, and then his excellency on the clouds. Look also at Isaiah chapter 44, verse 2. Am I just picky when I say Israel and not Jacob? No, No, because Israel refers to believing Israel. Jacob refers to non-believing Israel. Isaiah 44, we'll start in verse 1 to make sure we know what Jeshurun refers to. Says, yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant. How many of you know that song? Hear now, hear now, 
O Jacob, my servant. Okay, hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Notice in verse 1 is Jacob and Israel. In verse 2 is Jacob and Jeshurun. Which distinguishes between the unbelievers and the believers. You are either God's servant or his enemy. enemy. There's no in between. So Jeshurun are God's servants. Those who obey him. Those who believe in him. Those who put their faith in him. Those who love him with their whole heart. And Jacob are those who, well, don't. What does the word Jeshurun mean? It means upright one. Upright one. Those who disobey God and turn to idols, are they the upright ones? No, they are not. So as we go back to verse 5, it says, All the tribes of Israel together... But like I said, Simeon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, which means hearing, is the one who submitted. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 49, verse 5, to see what it was that Simeon, or Shimon, did that so offended God. Genesis 49, verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. So you would think Simeon and Levi will be treated the same. <coughs> Except you remember at the golden calf incident who it was that crossed the line to join Moses? Levi, Levi but not Simeon. So Levi repents. Simeon stays stiff-necked. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they humstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Levi repents. Simeon, well, no. Yes, ma'am. I looked at that this week, and it wasn't not that they just slew a man, but they took delight in it. They took It talks about their cruelty was, was almost boundless. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't an oopsie. No. no, it wasn't. You're right. Let's go to Numbers, chapter 25. What's the point? Does sin have consequences? Yes, especially unrepentant sin, huh? Numbers chapter 25, two verses. Verses, verse 8. <coughs> this takes place at Baal of Paor. You guys remember what happened there where the... Um, the king Balak, and acting on the advice of Balaam, brought the pagan prostitutes from Moab and offered them to the children of Israel. 
and a plague broke out amongst the children of Israel, and what stopped it? Verse 8. We'll start in verse 7 so we know who. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, in other words, a Levite, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Phinehas from Le- was from Levi. Levi puts a stop to the sin, and that brings a stop to God's wrath and judgment that's brought upon the people. And if we get down to verse 14, it says, Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of the father's house among the Simeonites. So Simeon led the rebellion against God. Levi stopped it. Levi will receive the blessings from Moses. Simeon will not. Let's compare that to Revelation chapter 7, verse 7. To find that eventually Simeon will repent. Which portion of land was the tribe of Simeon given when the land of Israel was divided amongst the twelve tribes? They didn't get any land. They got just cities. They were scattered. It is just within Judah. But they didn't get an allocation of land like the other tribes. They just got scattered cities. But if we come to Revelation chapter 7, verse 7, it begins, Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. These are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the seal of God, to go forth and preach the gospel message to the world. So Simeon eventually will come to its senses and realize that you cannot rebel against the Lord our God and prosper. So instead, in Revelation 7, the tribe of Dan is missing. We've talked about that before, of why that might be. When will we know for sure? When we get to heaven and watch the videotapes. That's right. So let's go back to the final blessing of Moses. Deuteronomy 33, verse 6. Who was the firstborn of Jacob? Reuben. So that's where the blessings begin. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. As blessings go, that one's kind of thin, huh? Remember, from Genesis 49, Reuben was the firstborn, but he loses the rights of the firstborn. Let's go back to Genesis 49 and find out why. Why is his blessing so small? Genesis 49. We may as well keep a finger in Genesis 49 because we'll pop back and forth now and then. Genesis 49 says, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the what? End of days. The Akhrit Hayamim, meaning the time of Messiah's return and establishing his kingdom. 
says, Gather together and hear you, sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Look at verse 4. Unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. He went up and had sexual relations with his father's wife. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that that's a really bad thing, right? It's a direct violation of God's commandments in the book of Leviticus. So Jacob, his father, chastises him for it, says he will not excel, and removes his firstborn rights and privileges, which then we go down to Simeon and Levi, where we just saw why Simeon and Levi lose the firstborn status too. So in verse 8, it passes down to whom? To Judah. Which tribe does Messiah come from? Judah. Which tribe does David come from? Judah. Had it not been for the sins of his older brothers, might Messiah have descended from Reuben? What he lost by the sin is just enormous. So let's go back to Deuteronomy 33. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. Well, at least that's some blessing. Verse 7, And this he said of Judah. He skipped right over Simeon and Levi, didn't he? And this he said of Judah. Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you be help against his enemies. That means that Judah would lead the armies of Israel in war. David was the master soldier, right? The people would sing, Saul killed his couple, and David is thousands and tens of thousands, right? Yep, David comes from Judah, as does Messiah. In verse 8, and of Levi. Well, Levi should come before Judah. Why does Moses put him after? Has he forgotten the birth order? No. And of Levi, he said, because of the sin of Levi and Simeon, Levi's dropped down the list here. And of Levi, he said, let your Thuman and your Orem be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massah, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah. Do you know what the Urim and the Thummim are? Most people think it's the stones. It is not. Umim and Thurim. In the breastplate of the high priest, there's the 12 stones, right? With the names engraved. There's a pocket underneath it in which a parchment goes. That parchment is called the Umim and the Thurim. And whenever the high priest would seek God's answer to something, the letters in the stones of the breastplate of the high priest would light up to spell the answer. Wouldn't that have been cool to see? This was before the, the days of LEDs and batteries. 
but God would light up the answer in the letters of the names of the children of Israel. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 28, verse 30. Exodus chapter 28, verse 30. And we'll start in 29, just to give us context. But the key verse is 30. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. What is the holy place? Not the holy of holies. The tabernacle and later the temple is divided into two parts. The first part is called the holy place, the Hakodesh. The place behind it with the Ark of the Covenant is the Holy of Holies. So the holy place is where the priests minister with the showbread, the um, altar of incense, the menorah that they light the lights on. The priest can go into the holy place, but only into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Okay, so the holy place. Whenever he goes in there, he's got to have this breastplate on, which contain the names of the children of Israel. Verse 13, you shall put in the breastplate that is in that little pocket between the chest of the high priest and the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. A lot of times I see drawings and pictures of the high priest and the two stones on his shoulders they label as the Urim and the Thummim. That's not what those two stones were. They were different. This is a parchment inside. Is anything on the parchment? Yes, the name of God. Not the Tetragrammaton, but they say it was, I think, 80 characters long. In the scripture, Messiah talks about the name that no man knows. Yeah. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 8. Now, please, nobody send me an email and say, what were those 80 letters? When I say the one that nobody knows, I mean nobody knows. Leviticus 8.8. 8. Then, after he's put on all the other vestments, he put the breastplate on him, and he put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate. Urim, you know what that word is, right? Because what is the word? Or, or is light. So Urim are lights, and Thummim is perfections. Lights and perfections. Let's go to Ezra chapter 2. Ezra takes place as the children of Israel are returning from captivity in Babylon. Ezra chapter 2. So many of the temple implements were missing, having been plundered by the Babylonians. Ezra chapter 2 verse 63 And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things until a priest could consult with the Urim and Thummim. Which means this was not lost to the children of Israel. 
the Babylonians liked the gold stuff. They liked the silver stuff. A piece of parchment didn't mean much to them. So by that way, the children of Israel were able to continue to consult with the Urim and Thummim. And verse in Ezra? Ezra chapter 2, verse 63. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 65. Remember, Ezra came down with those who rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah leads those down who rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. It is that decree to restore and rebuild the city of Jerusalem that starts Daniel 77's clock. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 65. Or as Nehemiah Gordon calls it, Nehemiah. And the governor said to them, they should not eat of the most holy things till the priest could consult with the umum and the thurum. So again, Ezra and Nehemiah both agree that the urim and the thummim was not lost to the children of Israel. They still had it. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 33, we're up to verse 9 which isn't translated very well in our English Bible, so I'm going to give you a better translation. It says, Who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. Does that sentence make a lot of sense to anybody? Not really. It's better translated, the one who said of his father and mother, I have not favored him. That is, have not favored them over God. His brothers he did not give recognition. And his children he did not know, for they, the Levites, have observed your word and your covenant they preserved. Yep. The one who said of his father and mother, I have not favored him. His brothers, he did not give recognition. And his children, he did not know. For they, and in brackets explaining they, the Levites, have observed your word and your covenant they preserved. That's the way the Tanakh translates this. And what they're trying to get at is the Levites, yes, they may have started out wicked, but they repented. They came back to God and they preserved the covenant and the Torah. Of course, they eventually went astray again, but for a time, they were serving God with their whole heart. And of course, which tribe is Moses from? Levi. Levi. He's a Levite. <coughs> All right. Verse 10. The Levites have a responsibility to teach the Torah. How do I know? It says it right here. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you, that is, they burn the incense on the 
altar of incense and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. So Levi is responsible for teaching the children of Israel about the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. What does it tell us in Malachi? Turn up to Malachi for a moment. Malachi is getting very close to Matthew. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So have the children of Israel been learning the Torah from the priests like they're supposed to? No. Next step, go back to Micah. Why? Why did the Levites fail in their jobs? Micah chapter 3, verse 11. Micah chapter 3, verse 11. Her heads judge for a bribe, and her priests, they're the Levites, teach for pay. And her prophets divine for money. So what happened to the focus of the Levites? Is it on God? Is it on leading people to God? Or is it on putting gold in their pockets? What happens when they take their eyes off God and put it in their pockets? Then they failed to teach the children of Israel as they have been called to do. But that's going to change. Go to Ezekiel chapter 44. As they return to the Lord at the golden calf incident. So they're going to return to the Lord. When Messiah returns. Ezekiel 44, we'll start in verse 15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me. Who was Zadok? He was the high priest who stayed loyal to David when the rest of the people turned away from David, God's anointed, and went after David's sons instead. They shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord. Verse 23 of the same chapter. And they, the Levites, who were charged by God to keep and teach the Torah, says they will teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean, 
in controversy they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes and all my appointed meetings and they shall hallow my Sabbath. In other words, they will once more, instead of looking at their pockets, will look at God's people and say, we have a responsibility to teach them how to follow in the footsteps of the Lord. Makes me think of the old show in the footsteps of Messiah. Have you ever seen it? In the footsteps of Messiah. Yep, that was where Becky and I first learned what we really were. Okay, back to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Verse 11. Bless his substance, O Lord. What's that mean? Bless his substance, O Lord. It's more than all he has in everything. Did the Levites get an allotment of land? No. no. Then how did they eat and feed their families? From the gifts. From the tithes and offerings. So if the children of Israel bring in the tithes and offerings, the priests and Levites can concentrate on the worship services <laughs> at the temple and leading the people to God and teaching them the proper ways. What if the people stop bringing the tithes and offerings to the Levites? They either go hungry or what really happened is they left the service of God and went out to take care of their families. And when the priests and Levites are not doing these sacrifices and services before God, then tragedy befalls the nation. Let's go back to Malachi 3. That's what Malachi 3 is all about. It's not about me passing an offering plate and you making sure you dump your pockets in it. That's not what it's about. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Look at the last sentence before verse 8. It says, in what way shall we return? And God says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That's not code for put money in the offering plate. It literally means bring the tithes, which are food, into the storehouse, which was the area of the temple where they stored the food for the priests and the Levites. Yes, Miss Mullaney. It says cursed with a curse. What was a curse and who, who did it? Was it God? It's God who did it, and the curse was a lack of rainfall. A lack of rainfall causes famine, right? So God said essentially, if you will not bring the food to the priests and Levites, I won't give it to you. How do I know that? Let's keep reading. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The tithe was never money. It's agricultural products. For the Levites, and then the Levites give a tenth of what they receive to the priests. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, that's the rain. What happens in Israel if the rain falls at the right times and the right amounts? They get three crops a year. 
So there's never going to be any hunger. The curse was the rain stopped. When the rain stops, what kind of produce do you get? Not much. So if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Meaning not enough room in your barns to store all the harvest. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Isn't that happening today? Yes, ma'am, it is. Why do you suppose it is? Do you think people have turned their backs on God? Yeah. If you look around the world, some of the world is baked to a famine where the, the land is just all cracked and won't produce. The rest of it is so flooded that the crops are destroyed. So back to Deuteronomy 33. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. He can't do the work of his hands in the tabernacle later, the temple, unless the substance is there to feed themselves and their families. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. So defend Levi. Verse 12, of Benjamin, he said. Wait a minute. Where is Benjamin in the birth order? He's the, He's the last one. He's the youngest. His mother had how many children? Two. What was the name of the first one? Joseph, which means Yosef, which means he will add. Meaning she said, God's going to give me another. And the other was Benjamin. Benjamin means son of my right hand or son of my old age. A Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all the day long and he shall dwell between his shoulders. Where is Jerusalem where the temple was located? In Benjamin. In Benjamin. When it says he shall dwell between his shoulders, it means God's going to establish his temple in the tribal land of Benjamin. Benjamin is part of the southern kingdom of Judah. There were two tribes in Judah, Judah and Benjamin. As well as Simeon being scattered around, but they don't consider him when they talk about the ten tribes versus the two. Verse 13. Verse 13. They say is the key to the Gog and Magog invasion. Verse 13, and of Joseph, he said. Joseph didn't have a tribal land. No, but his two sons did. Who were they? Ephraim, Ephraim and Manasseh. So they had the area just north of Benjamin. From Benjamin all the way up to almost the Sea of Galilee. So of Joseph, he said, blessed of the Lord is his land with the precious things of heaven, with the dew. Yeah, he contains land that is very fertile. Contains some of the most beautiful vineyards, the most beautiful olive groves. But then it says, and the deep lying beneath. 
Because of this, Bible scholars long said, there is oil under the land of Joseph. Which is why they began drilling for oil in the land of Israel and found it. It was because of this verse they knew it was there. Because what else is in the deep lying underneath the land? They said it's got to be oil. And in fact it was. And in fact they've discovered that the oil reserves under the lands of Joseph are greater than those in all of the Arab world. And of course, when Russia comes and leads the battle of Gog and Magog, why do they come? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 38 and see. Do they come because they don't like Jews? That's not why they come. Ezekiel chapter 38. Verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, which actually should read my Lord, the Lord. On that day, what day? The Lord, it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind. Talking about Gog and Magog. And you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. Meaning what? A land that's at peace. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, when they say peace and safety, comes sudden destruction. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely. All of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates. To take plunder and to take booty. Meaning to take the wealth that the land of Israel contains. That's the motivation. That's why they're coming. Verse 13 says, Sheba Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish. Sheba and Dedan, that's Saudi Arabia. And the merchants of Tarshish, those are from the British Isles in that area to the west. And all their young lions, that would include the United States. If you want to see the United States in prophecy, here we are. We're some of the young lions. Because the British Empire founded the United States. We'll say to you, have you come to take plunder? In other words, we're not going to do a thing. We're just going to say, oh, is that why you're there? Yeah, yeah. yeah it does, doesn't it? So back to Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 14. With the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months. So verse 14 says they're going to have great agriculture. How many of you have seen the blue bag trees in Israel, where they grow the blue plastic bags? Those blue plastic bags are covering bananas. They grow some of the most flavorful and delicious bananas in the world. When we get bananas here in the States, they're cut off the tree long before they're ripe. So they can be shipped on boats, which takes a long time to put out in stores green, and eventually they ripen if they don't rot first. And the flavor of the bananas here is it's so bland. 
But in Israel, it just melts in your mouth. It is such a treat. I got to be careful. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Let's go to Israel this fall if the Lord doesn't come for us first. But verse 14 promises great agriculture in the lands of Benjamin. I'm sorry, of Ephraim and Manasseh, the lands just north of Benjamin. Like I say, they go up all the way almost to the Sea of Galilee. That's that great heartland. Verse 15. With the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, let the blessing come on the head of Joseph, and how was the blessing, if you remember, when Jacob blessed the two children, Joseph said, Pa, your eyesight shot your blessing the wrong kid first, remember? But God knew exactly what he was doing. And on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Hmm. In whose land does the Mount of Megiddo lie? Manasseh. The Jezreel Valley? Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay. Verse 17. His glory. They're still talking about Joseph's kids. Oh. Wait a minute. Were Joseph's kids in the eyes of Israel Jewish? No. no. They had a Gentile for a mother. Their mother was Egyptian. But Jacob, in his blessing ceremony, adopts those two children. Adopted children receive the blessing of a firstborn, which if you look at a map of Israel, they get a large portion of the land. But not only that, but adopted children have an additional blessing over a regular child is you can't unadopt an adopted child. You chose that child. You made that child yours. And that child is yours as much and more than your begotten children. So what do Ephraim and Manasseh picture? Pictures the grafted in believers of Romans chapter 11. Not born Jewish, grafted into Israel. Therefore, always part of the people. Part of the people in the blessings, part of the people in division of the land, part of the people in Revelation chapter 7, which will take the gospel message to a lost and dying world. But verse 17, his glory is like a firstborn bull and his horns like the horns of the wild ox. In other words, very strong, very powerful. Together with them, he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim and they are the thousands of Manasseh. In other words, they're going to be extremely populous. Much more populous than the other tribes of Israel. And if you look at the numbers in the book of Numbers, yeah, that literally came to pass. 
but more than that. Shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. Manasseh and Ephraim are part of the northern kingdom, right? The northern ten tribes. Where were they dispersed to? All over the earth. So there are descendants of Manasseh and Ephraim across Europe and the United States. That could be your heritage, whether you know it or whether you don't. But you know what God knows? And that's the only thing that matters, is that God knows. Verse 18, end of Zebulun. Land of Zebulun. <coughs> Keep a finger here and go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. No, let's go to 9 first. Then we'll go to 11. Isaiah 9. If you look at a map of ancient Israel, Zebulun is just a little piece of land, his tribal land. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That is, they started out very small tribes, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness, that's talking about that northern kingdom, the peoples of Zebulun and Naphtali, have seen a great light. The great light is Messiah. Messiah centered his ministry at Capernaum, which is there at the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. So the lands that were so small, so insignificant, so powerless, saw the great light that shined in a dark and lost world. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So let's go back now to Deuteronomy 33 and read the blessing of Zebulun. Did you skip Isaiah I'm sorry? Did you skip Isaiah 11? Yeah, I decided to go on back to Deuteronomy. I looked at the clock. So let's go to Isaiah 11 because it, it is neat. It's so very neat. I wanted to talk about the great light that has shined. Who is that? That's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod. It's not rod, it's shoot. It's that little sprout. If you've ever seen an olive tree, down at the root of the tree, you'll see a little shoot begin to grow, a new olive tree out of the root of the existing tree. That's Messiah. From the stem of Jesse, not stem, it's from the stump of Jesse. So the tree representing the Davidic dynasty, the world thinks is dead. It's been chopped down. It's just a stump, a dead stump. But while they see a dead stump, when you look closer, you see a little shoot growing up that's going to become a mighty tree growing out of the roots of old. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. That branch is Netzer. N-E-T-Z-E-R, Netzer. That's where you get the word Nazareth. 
Where did Messiah grow up? Nazareth. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. That is the light that shines in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. So now let's go back to Deuteronomy 33, to verse 18. <coughs> and as Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. So Zebulun and Issachar have a relationship. They're separated by just a little bit of Manasseh. Otherwise, they're two small plots of land very close to the Sea of Galilee. Zebulun was great at maritime activities, trade, fishing, etc. Issachar was known as Bible scholars. So verse 18 says, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, that's in your maritime activities, and Issachar in your tents. They stayed home studying the scriptures. And they had a beneficial co-relationship that way. They shall call the peoples to the mountain. They shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, and they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and of treasures hidden in the sand. Let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. If you want to know the future, what does the Bible say you should study? What's that? Your horoscope? No. The Bible, the Torah, the scriptures. And of course, that's what Issachar was doing in 1 Corinthians 12 verses 32 in 33. First Chronicles. I'm sorry, did I say Corinthians? Just strike that and put Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 12, verses 32 and 33. Says of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. How did they have understanding of the times? Because they studied the scriptures they studied the word of God that was their specialty and yet the northern kingdom still went right into the idolatrous pit didn't they yeah verse 33 says of Zebulun there were 50,000 who went out to battle expert in war with all weapons of war stout hearted men who could keep ranks so not only were they great in Maritime activities, they were great soldiers on the battlefield. Whereas Issachar, yeah, they weren't much in a way of warriors. They were scholars. So back to Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 20. And of Gad, of course, you realize in Hebrew it would be pronounced God, 
but that sounds too much like our English word God, so we say Gad. Blessed is he who enlarges Gad. Was Gad a big tribe? Yes, if you look on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, most of it was taken up by Gad. In Gad, you found the land of Gilead, the mountains of Gilead. Name me one major prophet who came from Gilead. Uh, Elijah. Eliyahu, Hatishbi, Eliyahu, Hagiadi, Eliyahu, hey, that's me. Well, that was John the Baptist's version anyway. Okay. The Jordan River. Remember, there were two and a half tribes who said, oh, we don't want to cross over. Let us stay here because the mountains were so plentiful with grass and good for grazing. If you look at that land today, what does it look like? Desert wasteland. But when Israel was there, God blessed it. The rains fell. And it was so plush and lush that it was good for grazing cattle and sheep and all kinds of grazing type animals. So blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He dwells as a lion. And tears the arm and the crown of his head. They were good warriors. He provided the first part for himself because a lawgiver's portion was reserved there. He came with the heads of the people. He administered the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. Were there judges of Israel that came from this land? Yes, they were. Think of Jephthah. And don't make any rash vows like Jephthah did. Yeah, the daughter. The first thing that comes out of my house, I will sacrifice to the Lord. He expected the first thing out of his house to be an animal, which makes you think his wife wasn't a very good housekeeper. But instead it was his daughter. So did he sacrifice his daughter to the Lord? No. You can't sacrifice children. But it meant... She was dedicated then to the service of God in the tabernacle for all her life. She couldn't marry. She couldn't have children. So to Jephthah, she was like dead. She couldn't provide him any offspring, descendants to keep his name alive. Verse 22, and of Dan, he said, look at how long this blessing is for Dan. It's almost a sentence. Dan is a lion's whelp. He shall leap from Bashan. That's strange because Dan's land that was originally given him was in the south. But he refused that. That's right. He said, hey, there's all those nasty peoples down there. So he went north to the Golan, where the Bashan is. So before they even go in the land, Moses said, yeah, he's going to turn his back on what God gives him. And he's going to go take what he wants instead. Oh, so well. That, does that, like a <clears throat> four, portent of Dan not being there at the end? Is it a portent of Dan not being there at the end? Yeah. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 49. You know I had to keep a finger there for some reason. 
Genesis 49, <coughs> starting in verse 16. How does Jacob describe Dan at the time of the end? Remember, Jacob's blessing is at the time of the end, the day of the Lord, the end of days. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Yes, that was Samson. If he quit playing with the pagan women, he'd have done better. But. So verse 17, that's all it said good about Dan. It says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way. Whenever John the Baptist or Messiah referred to the Pharisees as a brood of vipers, a brood of serpents, did they take it as a compliment? No, it meant what? They're dedicated to the evil one. They serve the evil one. A viper by the path that bites the horse's heels. That, in my opinion, refers to Messiah's return in Revelation 19.11. Dan doesn't want Messiah to return. Dan is on the false Messiah's side as far as I can see. So this writer shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. So it's tied to Messiah's return. And Dan is an impediment. And if you notice in Revelation chapter 7, Dan is not one of the 144,000 that are preaching the gospel throughout the world. Just put down in your notes, he was a bad boy. Verse 23, and of Naphtali. Naphtali is the land around the Sea of Galilee all the way up to Dan. And Naphtali said, oh, Naphtali, satisfied with favor. Remember, that's where Messiah did most of his preaching and teaching. And full of the blessing of the Lord, possessed the west and the south. Okay, his land goes all the way up to the Jordan River, to the east. So he possesses that which is west of the Jordan River until you get to the thin tribe of Asher, which is on the Mediterranean Sea. Oh, Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possessed the west and the south. And of Asher, that's the tribe between Naphtali and the Sea of Galilee. He said, what does Asher mean? Do you know? Happy. 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 Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. That's not talking about petroleum. It's talking about olive oil. So there must be some really good trees growing up there. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze. As your days, so shall your strength be. So iron and bronze are both very strong metals. So the descendants of Asher are going to be very strong, healthy people. Might be a good name for a kid even. Verse 26 is a blessing for all of Israel. All of Israel. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun. Is that right? How do you say in Hebrew, there is no other? Ain od. Ain od. Who rides the heavens to help you. And his excellency on the clouds. 
Will the God of Jeshurun return on the clouds one day? Revelation 19.11. Is Yeshua the God of Jeshurun? He most certainly is. Verse 27. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy! So long as Israel what? Remains obedient out of faith and love. All Israel had to do was do what Moses said in Deuteronomy 30 and choose life. Verse 28, then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone. So long as they remained faithful to God, they had nothing to fear from their enemies. In a land of grain and new wine, his heavens also shall drop dew. Remember, they haven't crossed the Jordan River yet to come into the land of Canaan. When they do, the crops are already going to be ripe in the field. Crops they didn't have to plant. The Canaanites planted them. All they have to do is come in and enjoy the wheat, the grains, the olives, the dates, etc., etc. His heavens also shall drop dew, means God will keep it watered and it will produce bountifully, as promised in Deuteronomy 28 so long as the people remain faithful to the Lord. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. That verb save there, yesha, is from the verb from which we get the word Yeshua for salvation. So here the reference saved by the Lord refers to how they were delivered from Egypt brought through the Red Sea, protected by God from their enemies in the wilderness, fed by God with manna from heaven, watered by God with water from the rock. They have been delivered from the King Sihon and Og who wanted to destroy them. Who is the shield of your help? That's the Lord. And the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. You shall tread down their high places, meaning what? You're going to destroy the places where the pagan inhabitants, the Canaanites, worship their gods. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 1. Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Now go to verse 12. I'm sorry, chapter 12. 
verse 1. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving to possess all the days that you live on the earth. So will the commandments ever go away? No. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains, those are the high places that Israel's is going to destroy. And on the hills and under every green tree, that is the evergreen trees that today we call Christmas trees. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Does that sound like God isn't quite sure whether they should destroy them or not? Not at all. Did, did they use the holly trees as well? Isn't the holly tree mentioned in context with this? I don't think holly trees existed in the land of Israel. That's something from the British Isles more. Um, that's the source of the mistletoe. No, mistletoe growing oaks. I used to climb on cut it out, so. All right. <laughs> Back to Deuteronomy 34. <laughs> Deuteronomy 34. Here's the death of Moses. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. So many of you have probably been to Mount Nebo into Pisgah. Pisgah is the top point on the Mount Nebo. From there you can see across the Jordan Valley and across the whole plains there of the land of Israel today. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. Wow. All Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. All the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea. What's the Western Sea? The Mediterranean. So he can see everything. Dan, Naphtali, Asher, um, Zebulun, Issachar, Manasseh, Phraim. He can see all that from Mount Nebo. The south in the plain of the valley of Jericho. Jericho's in the land of Benjamin. Now we're in what becomes known later as the southern kingdom of Judah. The city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. What story do you remember Zoar from? The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Why? Why can't Moses go into the land? Because he struck the rock a second time when God told him to speak to the rock. Was that sin? Yep. Yes, he broke the commandment of God. Did he repent of it? Yes, he did. Does that mean he doesn't have to suffer the consequences? <coughs> the answer is no. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Well, you know, God got another one right. 
And he buried him in, please take note here, in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. I'm afraid the Bible is wrong. If you go to the top of Mount Pisgah, the Catholic Church put a monastery there to say this is the place where Moses is buried on the top of the mountain. Doesn't the Bible say he's buried in the valley? So that Catholic Church is in the wrong spot. But the Catholic Church had the greatest archaeologist in history. You know this story, right? It wasn't Constantine, but his mother. His mother sent out a group of archaeologists to go find the place where Messiah was born. He was born in a sukkah. Sukkah is a temporary dwelling. It wasn't there three, four hundred years later. So the archaeologists came back to Queen Helena and said, I'm sorry, your majesty, we could not find it. So she took them out in the city square and killed them all. In front of the next group of archaeologists, which she said, I'll go find the place. They came back in just a couple of days and said, we found it. And the Catholic Church built a church over this site. No, it's not the right place. But she was known as the greatest archaeologist in history because after hanging that first group of archaeologists, they found everything she sent them to find. No one knows this grave to this day. Moses was, look at this, 120 years old when he died. He was 80 years old when they started the 40 years of wandering. At the end, he's 120 years old. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished, meaning he was as strong and healthy as he was when he was 30. But well, we got to stop for a moment and go to Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1. I know there's only one chapter in Jude. But if I just say go to Jude, people will be yelling, what chapter? Okay. There's only one. The wages of sin is what? Death. So Satan thought, since Moses sinned, he's mine. I get him. So look at Jude chapter 1 verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. The devil saying he's mine, he sinned, he's in my kingdom. He lost his opportunity for eternal life says, dare not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So why, even though Moses sinned, is he not given over to the devil to go into the lake of fire? Because he repented. What does repentance bring? Forgiveness. Let's start in verse 3. I wanted to look first at verse 9, then to read verses 3 to 21. I'm sorry. Same Jude. Oh. Yeah. Verse 3 of Jude. 
Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. To contend how for the faith? Earnestly. Earnestly. Does that mean half-heartedly? No. No. Quite the opposite. For the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, does that faith change over time? Does God change over time? Or is it the same faith that's always been? It says once for all delivered to the saints. How does the Bible describe saints? Who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. That's Revelation 12, 17 and Revelation 14, 12. For certain men have crept in unnoticed. What do we call these certain men? False teachers. Who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. That's Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet comes along and leads you away from God, are you supposed to follow? Not even if it's a prophet from God doing miracles, right? That's Deuteronomy 13. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness. That is who say, hey, you've walked down the aisle. You've repeated after the pastor. You can now go live in sin. You want to be homosexual? Fine. An adulterer? Who cares? Fornicator? No problem. What does 1 Corinthians 6 say about all those? Not going to heaven, right? And deny the only Lord God. How many Lord Gods do we have? It should read, the Lord, my Lord, the Lord. And our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. And I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He led them out of the land of Egypt because they said they believed, but what happens when their actions did not follow their words? They died in the wilderness. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, talking about in Genesis chapter 6, the ones who came down and had children by human women, but left their own domain, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. If God will judge the angels who rebelled, what will he do to people who rebel? Will he say, you just get a few less rewards? No, I'm afraid not. As Sodom and Gomorrah, were those Jewish cities or Gentile cities? Gentile cities. And the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. If Moses is not committed to the eternal fire, why are Sodom and Gomorrah? What did he do that they didn't? He repented. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. What does this say to those churches 
who teach people to stand up and rebuke the devil to his face. This says even Michael the archangel didn't dare do that. Yeah. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts and these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them! For they have gone in the way of Cain have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear serving only themselves. What's that mean? They feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They pretend to be children of God. They worship God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. They're clouds without water. What does that benefit the crops? Carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit. What good's a fruit tree that has no fruit? Twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. That's Zechariah chapter 14 verse 5. It refers to Messiah Yeshua returning in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, returning with the saints. And who are the saints? Those who keep the commandments and testimony of Yeshua. Yes, the raptured and resurrected saints. To execute judgment on all. Is that what it says? He comes to judge all flesh. That's Isaiah 66, 14 to 17. To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which which they've committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Boy, he uses ungodly a lot in that sentence, right? Makes you think. He thinks we ought to be godly, huh? Verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. In other words, they teach, don't keep the commandments of God. No, God doesn't want that. He wants you to demonstrate your faith by walking in sin. Surely no preacher would actually preach that. Yeah, just watch Andy Stanley. Sorry, but yeah. And they, they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. They promise all kinds of wealth and prosperity but you beloved remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts these are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. What is the love of God? 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Or, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. To keep his commandments. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah unto eternal life. 
All right, let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33. 34, you're right. We could just go back to 33 and start over, but... Oh, done that. Got the t-shirt. Didn't like it. Okay. So we are in chapter 34, verse 8. Normally when a dear family member dies, you sit Shiva for how long? Seven days. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Do you see what high esteem they held him in? So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. What do you call that laying on of hands? That's the smicha. Smicha. That's the way ordinations have been done down through the centuries. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So that whole generation that entered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua at least tried to follow the commandments of God. Verse 10, but since there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, that is not when Deuteronomy was written. But in Deuteronomy 18, 18, Moses promised a prophet like me. And who was that prophet? That's our Messiah, Yeshua. In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants and in all his land, and by all that mighty power, and by all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Having finished the book, what do we say? Chazak, chazak venish chazek, which means be strong, be strong, and may we be strengthened. For how are we strengthened as children of God? By studying his word. It's time now to stop the recording.